Let's take our Bibles tonight and go back to Psalm 119. We've been in Psalm 119 now for some time and uh, just kind of working our way through the chapter. One of the things, of course, that happens as you spend a fair amount of time in, in one chapter uh, is uh, you end up seeing a lot of the, uh, the kind of the, a, a repeat or some overlap of a common theme that you're just kind of finding throughout, uh, and that's uh, certainly no different tonight. We're going to see some of the things that we've seen recurring uh, several times. Of course, we remember that uh, this is a, a psalm, I believe, that was written by David. I, I have a lot of uh, other people that agree with me on that, and, and uh, a lot of commentaries and things would agree, but the psalm doesn't specifically state who wrote it, so it, a lot of it is just assumption at this point, but but uh, we're able to look at this and see that the psalmist, is, he's found himself in a time of difficulty and trial. And there are uh, people who are conspiring against him and, and seeking his destruction and his downfall. Uh, he's referred to them as the proud. He's referred to them as the wicked. Uh, those who are his enemies are seeking his destruction, but he has found his help and his strength and his comfort in the Word of God. And this, this chapter, that's exactly what it deals with, is the Word of God and, and the value of the Bible in our lives and, and its importance. And so when we get to this section, we're going to look at verses 105 through 112. I'll let you remain seated because we're going to kind of take our time going through this rather than just reading it all at once. very familiar with within this particular section, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that's a tremendous verse of scripture in reference to the word of God, that the word of God is like a lamp and a light. And we often uh, consider that as, okay, this is, this is God's word. It is that which gives me illumination. It's that which gives me clarity. But I want to just stop for a moment and consider that in order for light to be valuable to you, in order for you to desire to have a lamp for your feet, that would mean that you are in a place of darkness. And we often want to highlight the fact that God's word is light, but so often we also would like to live our lives in a state where the sun is always shining and we're on the mountaintop and whatever illustration you want to use, everything is kind of going our way and where we have a, a, a clear picture and a clear view of what lies ahead. However, when you consider this concept that the word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that has the implication that we are in a place of darkness where we're not able to see a great distance ahead. And we're not really sure of our surroundings. One of the hardest things I think you can find yourself in is in a place of darkness. Uh, a place where you feel like you're just not really sure uh, where you are or where you're going or what's going on around you. I've described this before as though uh, as similar to the concept of driving in fog. I remember one time uh, as a teenager, probably about 16 years old, I was over at a friend's house late one night. Uh, we were just kind of hanging out and playing video games and doing whatever else, just hanging out. And, and uh, I left there late. He lived about 20 miles from, from where my house was. 
I left there late at night, maybe 11, midnight, somewhere in there. And I remember walking out to my car and thinking, boy, it is really foggy out here. In fact, when I walked outside of the, the door of his house, I couldn't even see my car. And so I walked to my car and I got in and I started to drive. And the, the farther I drove, the, the, the more dense the fog became. In fact, it got to a point that I, at one point I actually had to turn my headlights off and drive by what little light the moon was giving because the lights, uh, the headlights on my car were just reflecting off the fog and glaring in my eyes and I, they really weren't helping me to see anything anyway. And that 20 mile drive that should have taken me about 20-25 minutes to get home took me I think well over an hour and I was just kind of hopeful that I wasn't going to drive off the road. It was a somewhat of a scary experience and I remember just thinking you know, even though I knew the road fairly well, I couldn't see it. And that's just kind of a, a disconcerting feeling. You know, what if, what if some, something's in front of me and I, I can't see it and I hit it? Or, or what if I miss a curve? And, and, then, and then the thought kind of starts going through your mind. You know, what's going on around me? I mean, I, it's not just the road ahead of me that I can't see, but it's, it's the things that are going on around me. I, I, I have no idea really where I am and and, and, and it was just a very uncomfortable thing. And yet, in a spiritual sense, there have been times in my life where, where I have felt like that. I, I'm just not able to really get a clear picture of, of where I am and, and, and what lies ahead and the direction I'm going. And, and it, it may even seem at times as though God isn't speaking. You ever felt that way? There, there's just a lack of clarity. There's confusion. There's darkness, if you will. That's, that's a very... A disconcerting place to be. But I want you to know that if you find yourself in a place of darkness tonight, there is hope. There is hope for you to walk according to the will of God, even in a place of darkness. And that hope is found in God's word. He's told us that, that, that his word is that light. It is that which illuminates. Now, it may not illuminate very far ahead, but he says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet, at least enough light to know what the next step is that I ought to take. I can find it in God's word. And that should be an encouragement to us. Hold your place here. Go back to the book of Job, if you would. Job described a, a, a place of confusion, a place where it seemed as though uh, he wasn't sure what God was doing. And of course, if you look at the life of Job, you know, any of us, I think, there's probably not one of us here that's ever thought, boy, I wish that I could be like Job, you know. I, I, I wish that I could face the things that he faced. We understand he was going through uh, some things that, that probably no other human really has ever faced in his life. But Job 23 and verse number 8, I want you to notice what he says here. Behold... I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. Uh, I'm I'm going forward, I'm going backward. And in in one sense, he says that God isn't there. Now, if you read on a little bit further, you recognize that, that Job knows that God is there. He's just not able to recognize him. And he even says that, I, I go backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work. Isn't it wonderful that even in the midst of such deep trials, one thing Job knew is that God was at work. 
He couldn't see his hand. He, he didn't understand it. And even though he felt as though he was abandoned by God, he knew he wasn't. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. And then he makes this wonderful declaration, but he knoweth the way that I take. I don't know the way that I take. I don't know where I'm supposed to be going, but God knows. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept, and not declined. We're going to come back to that in a little while. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What is Job saying? He, he finds himself in a place of darkness, spiritual confusion. And, and, and he doesn't understand what God's doing. He acknowledges God is working, but he doesn't know why. But here's one thing he says. I esteem God's words more than my necessary food. I, I, I'm clinging to the truth that I know about God, what he has revealed to me. I am clinging to that because that is the only hope that I have. Now, here's the incredible thing. If you think about this, historians tell us that most likely Job was the very first book of the Bible that was ever written. Do you know what that tells us? When Job was going through his trial, he didn't have a Bible. All he had really was information that had been passed on to him from the patriarchs that had gone on before. Information, revelation that God had given to some individuals and passed down. And, and, and maybe a little bit that the Lord had spoken to him. But he didn't have a Bible that he could pick up and remind himself of these great promises of God. There was no such thing. And so because of that, he was so desperate to hear from God. But he said, you know what? What I know is that I, that, that I need to stay true and faithful to God. And I need his words. I need him to speak. Now, Christian friend, no matter how deep the valley that you're facing, no matter how dark is the place that you find yourself, you are better off than Job because you have his words. You can cling to them. And you know what they do? They illuminate. They enlighten. The word of God gives clarity. It guides our path. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light Unto my path. Did you know that God wants to order the steps of your life? Psalm 37 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I, I want God to order my steps. I want God to direct me. But if, if you want God to direct you, you've got to be willing to get into this book. And let the word of God illuminate. What is the next step? What is the next step? Sometimes I think that we, we have this idea in our minds. I know there, there was a time in my life that I had this picture of the will of God as being some distant destination that he was going to reveal to me and I just needed to drive toward that. 
you know what I started to find as I studied the Word of God and as I went through some experiences in my life? I started to find that the will of God isn't some far-off destination that we're trying to reach. The will of God is just allowing Him to direct our steps. Just give us the light that we need to take the next step and follow Him. Sometimes we have more clarity than others, but His Word always can give us guidance. And then I want you to think of this too, just the implication of thy word as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's, that, that not only speaks of clarity and guidance, but it also speaks of comfort, does it not? Every night it seems like we put the kids to bed and the younger ones have nightlights in their room, just something... Uh, that, you know, gives them a little bit of light. And uh, the, 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 the night lights that we have are part of like a sound machine, you know, something that's just got a little bit of background noise to drown it. When you live in a household of nine people, having a little bit of something to drown out some other noise can be a good thing <laughs> trying to go to sleep. And so, you know, you've got this little sound machine with like it just glows, lights up a little bit. The problem is some, they have a timer on them, and sometimes that timer gets set. And it, if the thing shuts off before they fall asleep, it seems like every night one of the kids will come running in, one in particular, will say, what are you doing up? But daddy, the nightlight went out. It's dark. And she's scared because it's dark in the room. So I go back in and I turn the light on so that she can have a light. And that light is enough to give her comfort so that she can go to sleep. Sometimes in the darkness can be scary. We're not sure, you know. It's that fear of the unknown. But having some light gives you some confidence, doesn't it? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Clarity, guidance, but also comfort in the night. Speaking of light, light most of the time is comforting. Sometimes you don't want to see what the light reveals, right? Turn the light off. I think it was Lester Roloff. He used to fly. You know, he's a pilot and would fly. And someone asked him, he said, Brother Roloff, you know, when you're flying, he said, if, if, uh, if one of your your engines went out and you're flying at night, and, uh, what would you do? He said, well, I'd, I'd turn on the light and I'd start looking for a place to land. I'd turn on my landing lights and see if I could find a good place to land. He said, what if, what if uh, when you turn that light on, you don't have a good place to land? If you don't like what you see, what would you do then? He said, I'd turn the light off. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good response, right? Sometimes the light gives us comfort, sometimes it doesn't. But in the, the Word of God, always gives us comfort if we're willing to seek the light of that. So he speaks of darkness, but I want you to notice he also speaks of determination. In this period of darkness, he says in verse 106, I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. What's he saying? He says that at some point in my life, I made a commitment that I was going to obey the Lord. And I'm, I am absolutely determined to keep my oath. Now here's the thing. 
A lot of times we will make a decision and even make a commitment to the Lord when everything's kind of easy going. But then when the pressure's on, it's easy for us to throw in the towel and kind of give up. But the psalmist here, what does he say? I, I've sworn and I will perform it. I, 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 I committed to the Lord that I was going to be faithful to Him and obedient. And yet in all my afflictions, even, even though it would be easy for me to give up, I am determined that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Look down at verse number 112, the end of the section here. He says, I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes alway, even unto the end. Now here's a man who finds himself in great affliction. He finds himself in a place where he's not sure what the future holds. But one thing that he is sure of is that he is determined to finish the race well. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember because so frequently we, we can get very caught up and consumed in our problems, in our trials, and, and we lose sight of the fact that we are still in a race that we're running. We're still uh, uh, living a life that God has put us on this earth for a purpose and, and we need to determine in our hearts that we are going to finish well the race that he has set before us. If you'd go with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 20. Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus and, and telling them that his, uh, basically this is the last time that he's going to see them. His ministry is coming to a close and, and uh, he's giving them some final instructions. And Acts 20 and verse 22, he says, And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there. There's some darkness. I don't have a lot of clarity of what lies ahead. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what's ahead, but I know it's trouble. <laughs> I know it's not going to be easy. But I love what he says in verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Wow, what a statement that Paul makes. I don't know what lies ahead. All I really am sure of is that bonds and afflictions abide me. There's going to be imprisonment, there's going to be trial, there's going to be pain that lies ahead. But none of these things move me. The, the awareness and the knowledge that there's rough waters ahead for me, that's not shaking my, my faith. In fact, I, I've, I've even kind of counted my, my life as not dear. I, neither count I my life dear unto myself, he said. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy. Even knowing that I'm walking into trouble, I am... I am absolutely focused and determined to finish well what the Lord has given me to do. Can I encourage you tonight, if you find yourself in a place of darkness, don't give up. Be more determined than ever to finish the course that God has given you with joy. To do it right. To finish well. Remaining faithful and true to God. Satan would love to use our difficulties and our trials to knock us off course to cause us to lose sight, to become inwardly focused and self-centered and maybe even faithless. 
But in a time of darkness, in a time of difficulty, that's no time to give up. It's actually the time to focus and be determined. You know, it would only be a few years later that Paul would write to Timothy and say, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. And he said, I've finished my course. I've fought a good fight and I have kept the faith. I, I was able to stick it out and endure to the end and remain faithful to my Lord. You know, every one of us here, no matter if you're a young person or maybe an elderly person, we all have something in common. Our race is not finished yet. Our course is not yet finished. And what does that mean? It means that any one of us has potential to stumble before crossing the finish line. Any one of us has potential to kind of get off course and be de deterred. I want to be able to get to the end of my life and say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I stayed faithful to the Lord through it all. Good times, bad times. I, I, I have sworn... And I will perform it. I, I want to stay true to the Lord. So he spoke of darkness and then he spoke of his determination. Then he gives his, a statement of desire. As we go back to Psalm 119. He cries out to the Lord after he's made that, that the, the first statement of the, 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 the illumination that God's word has given him. And, and, and really kind of thanking the Lord for helping him. And then he's made that promise to the Lord, I've sworn and I will perform it. But then he really makes a prayer or a request to the Lord. I'm afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Lord, as much as I'm determined to remain faithful and true to you, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time and I need your help. I'm so thankful that God is understanding. He knoweth the way that I take. Uh, one of the things that David said in one of his previous Psalms, I think it was Psalm 34. It says, he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Isn't it good to know that God understands that we're weak, that we're unable you know, what, I mean, the things that we go through, we, we can, can sometimes consider them to be tragic and terrible and difficult. And, and from a human perspective, perspective, they may be. But God has a different view of things. Those of you who have had small children know that sometimes little kids make a big deal out of things that we would look at and say, that's nothing. You know? Kids, I, I, we, we've got a couple of kids that can be very dramatic and you'll, you'll hear some kind of a fall or something and all of a sudden you hear this screaming Aah! and we'll, if we have company over they're like what, what's going on you know don't worry about it it's okay they're screaming that means they're breathing right I mean that's a good sign they'll come in what happened what happened look at my thumb I cut myself you look at it and you can barely see a little speck of red where they 
poked it or something like that. And it's like, okay, settle down. It's not that big of a deal. But to them, it's the end of the world, you know? We understand that as adults looking at the kids and saying, boy, this is, in the big scheme of things, this is nothing. Don't you think that God, the sovereign one, the omniscient one, the all-knowing God of the universe looks at us and sees our, our situations we find ourselves in. We, and we're saying, God, I'm afflicted very much. And, he's, and, and you would think he'd look down and say, you've got no idea what you're even talking about. Suck it up and deal with it. But isn't it good to know that he cares? He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He, he reaches down to us and comforts us. We can cry out to him, Lord, I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. Quicken me according to thy word. The word quicken means to bring to life, to revive. It's like he's saying, I'm dead. I'm, I'm a shell of who I used to be. Quicken me. It's wonderful to know that God hears us and cares about us. That we can pour out our soul to him. And he's not going to uh, uh, just belittle us. I love that the statement that's made in James chapter 1. Uh, verse 5, right, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. God doesn't look down at us and say, oh, you fool. He doesn't do that. He doesn't upbraid us. He doesn't rebuke us for our frailty. When we turn to him, he's there to extend a helping hand. It's wonderful, isn't it? So he speaks of his desire and then his devotion, look at verse number 108. He says, accept, I beseech thee, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgment. The freewill offerings of my mouth. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of the fact that he is praising the Lord. He is offering to the Lord the sacrifices of praise. He calls the words of his mouth freewill offerings to the Lord. I am not because my arm's being twisted, not because I have to do this, but out of my own free will, of my own volition, I am going to praise the Lord. Why is that significant? Because he finds himself in, in a place of affliction. He just said to the Lord, I am very much, I'm, I'm afflicted. I, I'm in a place of burden and trial and pain and difficulty. What does he decide to do? Praise the Lord. How often do you find yourself in that place? It's dark and it's painful and, 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 and there's people out to get you. But your response is, Lord, I just want to praise you. Let me just take some time and offer the sacrifices of praise to you from my mouth. And then notice also at the end of that verse, he says, and teach me thy judgments. Even in the midst of all of this, I'm not forgetting that I need to grow and learn more. I need the Lord to help me to grow in Him. Teach me. Instruct me. In fact, I've, I've thought about this and even talked to the Lord about this before. That often I will, in a time of difficulty, kind of just cling to the truth that I know. But sometimes, in fact, all the time, that's really not enough for the Christian. 
we cannot live based on our past experiences and prior knowledge. It's, it's a strange thing, but the Christian life is never static. You're either growing or you're backsliding. You're either going forward or you're falling away. And so you, you can't get in this place where you say, okay, I'm just going to hang on and kind of cling to the truth that I know. You've got to always be saying, Lord, teach me, grow me. Help me to draw closer to you. And by the way, in a time of affliction and trial, believe it or not, that's one of your greatest opportunities to draw nigh unto God. We don't think that way all the time, but in times of difficulty, that's often when we really get to know the Lord in a deeper way, if we'll seek Him. So he says, accept the free will offerings of my mouth and teach me thy judgments. Then he speaks of the danger that he finds himself in. And I've alluded to this already, but, but I, I just want to uh, remind you that he's, he's in this place. I mean, all these verses, they might seem like they're kind of disjointed and disconnected, but they're all, he's writing all these things at the same time. And notice what he says in verse number 9. My soul is continually in my hand. Yet do I not forget thy law. That's a really interesting phrase. My soul is continually in my hand. But it seems to have the implication that he finds himself in a place of danger. It, it, it's kind of this idea that my soul has been entrusted to me, like my, my life. It's in my hand. Therefore, whatever decision I make, it's like life or death. It's live or die. If I make the right decision, I'm going to live another day. If I make the wrong decision, uh, I'm done for. And my soul is in my hand. Like, it's, it's, this, is a, this is a burden I'm carrying, right? One wrong move could mean the end of me. In fact, I told you I think David wrote this. I want to go back to 1 Samuel 19. This is, this is one of the reasons that, that I, personally, I think that David may have written this psalm. Because this statement that his soul is in his hand or his life is in his hand actually is used in reference to David here in 1 Samuel 19. At a different time, no doubt, in David's life. But this is where Saul is trying to kill David. And Jonathan, his son, is appealing to Saul... Uh, Basically saying, hey, David's, you know, David's a good guy. I mean, he's faithful to you. Why would you want to kill him? Look at verse number four. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee, uh, to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. So he says, when David went to kill Goliath, when he went and faced off against Goliath, he, he took his life in his hand. And that's, that's what he did, right? I mean, he went down and it was like, okay, David, you either kill Goliath or you're going to die. But he was willing to stake his life on this because it was a, an important thing to do. And so in the same way, think about this with me, in the same way, that David's life was in his hand when he was facing off with Goliath, 
Now the psalmist says, my soul is continually in my hand. That was one instance, David. One time that he went before Goliath. But now he finds himself, he's like, I, I'm constantly living in a state where I could, I, could, I could die at any moment. That's what it feels like. My soul is continually in my hand. I, I'm in a place of danger, yet... Again, I'm committed to obeying the word of God. Yet do I not forget thy law. He says, uh, uh, verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. A snare is, uh, I don't know how many people we have in here that are trappers. Anybody ever trap animals in here? Um, Snares are a type of a trap that really, it's an interesting kind of way of trapping animals where it's usually a cable of some kind or maybe back then it would have been a rope or something that is set up in such a way that when when an animal goes through it either their their head will go through it or sometimes a foot or something like that and that that snare will actually tighten down almost like a noose on them and the more that they fight against it the tighter it becomes. And this word snare is often used to describe the, the, the traps that an enemy will set for, uh, for his enemies trying to, uh, trying to kill him or trying to capture him, a snare. But it's often also used in scripture to describe the dangers of sin. And just to make some parallels here, the psalmist found himself literally in a position where people were out to get him in a physical, real sense. But there's a spiritual sense in which we are warned of the snares of the devil. And we're reminded of the reality that our enemy is always out to get us. And we're told in 1 Peter to be sober and be vigilant. To be alert and aware and on guard because our adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And in a spiritual sense, you and I are always in this place where our soul is continually in our hand. And we could make a right decision that would lead us in the way that the Lord would have us to go. Or we could make a foolish decision that would really just lead us right into the trap of the enemy. What is that? tell us, it tells us that we need to be constantly guided by the word of God so that we avoid the failure that Satan would love to bring into our lives. He saw himself in a place of danger and realized that the most important thing he could do was stay faithful and true to the word of God. And then he speaks of his delight, verse number 111, he says, thy testimonies have I taken As an heritage forever, they are the rejoicing of my heart. Thy testimonies are my heritage. The word heritage, it literally means a prized possession and inheritance. What the psalmist is saying is, I I am actually delighting myself in the word of God. This This is my most precious and prized possession. The words of God, his testimonies his statutes, his judgments, his commandments, all those words that we find 
used somewhat interchangeably throughout this passage. And he says, they are the rejoicing of my heart. Even in the midst of everything that I'm facing, I find comfort and joy in God's word. I'm delighting myself in it. And tonight I just hope that each of us would really take to heart the things that the psalmist spoke of here. The darkness that he found himself in, yet the illumination and clarity and guidance and comfort that he found from God's word. The absolute determination that he was going to stay true to the word of God regardless uh, of what his circumstances were. And he was going to delight himself in the word of God at all times.